You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. We're talking with Dr. Isaac Towell about restoring an implant. Dr. Towell is the current president of AIE, Advanced Implant Educators. AIE courses offer real-world execution of implant placement, alveolar ridge expansion, and crestal and lateral wall sinus graft augmentation. Dr. Towell lectures around the world and teaches live surgical seminars on advanced dental implant procedures using the latest technology. Dr. Towell, you've done some incredible podcasts for us already, um, and we're happy to have you back on Dental Talk. Thanks. I'm glad to be here again. So we're going to be talking about restoring an implant. Um, A lot of what we've talked about in previous podcasts have been the surgical side and so many different things you've told us about the tools and the diagnostic stuff. It's just phenomenal information. So my first question on this podcast is how do we determine when an implant is ready for restoration? So historically, we've always determined it based off of what the type of bone bone density in one of the previous podcasts. And typically, according to the the textbooks from uh, Carl Misch, when may he rest in peace, when he used to recommend that in the anterior region, uh, the lower anterior region where we had dense bone, we would wait about three months for an implant. If we were going uh, into the upper maxillary area, we might wait about four months. In the posterior mandible, we wait about five months. Posterior maxilla, roughly about six months, assuming all things being equal. However, that was never comfortable for any of us to really sit and just wait and just say arbitrarily that the implant is ready. So once the implant we thought was ready, it hit that time period or it cooked like it did, like a turkey in the oven, we would then go ahead and put a healing cap on it, and we would then tap on that implant, and we would very subjectively tap on it and listen for a sound. And that was never a great way for us to really truly determine whether an implant was restored. So the next step was we would actually unscrew the healing cap and we try to back the implant out. In other words, reverse torque the implant out of its socket. And we try to do that at the same torque that we had put it in with. So if we had put it in at 35 newtons, we try to reverse it out at 35 newtons to see that if it would spin. Only problem with that is if it did spin, then you just lost your implant right. and you got to start all over again. Mm-hmm. So fortunately, about 10 years ago, a, a company came out called Ostel that came out with this amazing technology called resonance analysis. And they turned ISQ, which stands for implant stability quotient. And what the technology was, was that you would take a recording of a um, measurement that you, when you place an implant, you'd put this magnetic smart peg in and you'd have a outside source that kind of looks like a curing light that would send a resonance frequency down into that smart peg, down the implant, and give you a bounce back reading similar to sonar type of technology. And you take that from all the different angles, let's say all four angles, they place the implant. Then we could come back later and see Let's say if it's two months or six months later, whatever amount of time you thought of waiting, and we can recheck that very objectively because I can do the same that you can do. We can both take this peg, screw it into the implant, and we'll get the same readings. So it's a very objective way of determining it. And mm-hmm. based off of almost 900 articles now, uh, um, it's probably one of the most researched topics in implant dentistry, we've determined when we can load an implant based off of those ISQs. So if we had an ISQ that was, you know, 75 at placement and we came back two weeks, uh, a month later and it's at 62, we're going to wait until it catches back up to that 75. Right. If we put it in at, at 75 and six weeks later it's at 76, we can go ahead and restore that right. implant. I mean, my question is what type of technologies are available for implant impressioning? So some really amazing stuff has come out, as you know, for, for, uh, 
impressioning uh, teeth. Um, you know, we've been using different uh, intraoral scanners, such as the Three Shape, Carestream, Serac. Um, there's some newer ones like the Medit i500, and a new one that I've been playing with called the uh, Heron from 3Disc, which is about to come out uh, in, uh, within about the next uh, few months. And it's uh, and we've been able to now scan that the mouth for teeth uh, and for for crowns for restorations. We've been able to do digital dentures these days. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing can be done for dental implants. We can now take scan bodies that would go and sink into the implant, and we can scan that um, scan body and be able to do the same record keeping that we do for uh, dentition and send it over to our laboratories by emails and get amazingly accurate crowns. It's really amazing. Is I've, I've been using this technology for a while. I'm, I'm stunned at the lack of, a, of, of adjustments that I've had to do once I switched over to this digital technology. Mm-hmm. If you're not comfortable and you don't want to spend the money on going with a uh, more expensive, um, uh, like an intraoral scanner, even though some of them have really dropped in price, there are also um, scannable impression materials that actually have titanium um, oxide built into the impressions themselves. One right. is available from uh, IDS, which is called um, um, the Smart Touch, okay. and another one is Harry uh, 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 Sculptor. Right. There's that I'm probably forgetting. So there are so many out there. That I think I, that's that are called like completely Flexi scannable. Flexi Time or something. That's the one. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Flexi Time. Yeah, that's Colzer. Yeah. They changed their name from Harry Sculptor Colzer. And what, yes. there was another one you mentioned from. Was it IDS? Yes, IDS has a, a, a material uh, that goes into their smart touch dispenser that actually has titanium oxide built into it as well. What is so that? You mat- can not ju- What's that material uh, called? Titanium oxide. So the, the, the titanium like we would have in ma- the implant made out of, it's an oxidized version of that, and it's sprayed within the, the impression material itself. Right. So what that gives us is not just the ability to put that in, because you can scan anything in a desktop scanner, but you can actually then go ahead and put the impression into a, cone beam unit if you have a cone beam unit mm-hmm. and you can scan the impression that way as well so you don't necessarily have to go with an intraoral scanner if you're still you know but you know biding your time waiting for the next greatest thing to come out right intraoral scanners they the pricing on that have, have that's like twelve thousand for a, a low-end version or well, the, cheap, the cheapest one i've seen is this newer one from the medit which is around eighteen thousand dollars for okay. a color scanner Black and white scanners, I, I typically stay away from because I do want the advantage of color. But yeah, there are some color scan, uh, color scanners, black and white scanners that are probably around that range. But my my advice would always be, if you're going to do something, do it right. Get the colored version because it gives you a lot more flexibility, such as digital shade matching and being able to to um, uh, really see the the soft tissue margins around the crowns very easily. Because there's there's different formats when we scan. We have the SDL format, which is a colorless format. And then we have these PLY and OBJ formats, which have the color built into it. So mm-hmm. people can now open this up. And, and this has now been opened up. Even CEREC has opened up their architecture to allow um, everyone to be able to embrace this technology so that they can truly get um, in, their, in their scans, regardless of the scan, scanner that they're using and regardless of the software that they're using. Right. And I believe CEREC is now, due to the merge of uh, Densply Serona, th- they're available not only through Patterson. I think there's, they're available through other dealers, Henry Schein. Absolutely. Henry yeah. Schein, Banco, and Burke are selling the CEREC uh, units as well. Right. So tell us a little bit about the materials used in implant restorations. And also, should we be cementing them in or sc- should these restorations be screw-retained? So the materials are now fully available, just like they are uh, for for um, uh, crown and bridge. Mm-hmm. We have zirconia, and there's the softer zirconias and harder zirconias. 
especially for implant dentistry, there's been um, some newer advancements in nanoceramics uh, to be able to allow some flexibility. Uh, some of the uh, uh, materials, like when we're doing full arch restorations, when we put zirconia against zirconia, uh, a lot of times that can lead towards uh, some uh, uh, one of the prostheses is fracturing because they're both two hard substances right. banging in against each other every day. Mm-hmm. So the idea has now been to try to make something a little bit softer, such as a nanoceramic material that has some uh, fibrous cores inside of them. And we're seeing a lot more of those types of materials that are now available on the market. And every single day there's a, a new material. It's, it's almost shocking at the uh, IDS Cologne uh, meeting, uh, International Dental Show in Cologne meeting this year. Uh, we expect to see a whole new slew of different types of a uh, composite style materials um, that that'll be out on the market from the various different companies. More important question that you've asked is: Should the crowns that we're using, if they're individual or if they're full arch, should they be cement retained or should they be screw retained? And that's obviously it's up to the user themselves to decide which way they're more comfortable with. But there is a huge advantage to going towards a cementless type of restoration. Um, you're seeing um, a lot more of the crowns that are being cemented around implants have um, some some trouble with uh, cement sepsis uh, because when when we look at an implant we do not we are not looking at a natural tooth that has a PDL to, and a long junction epithelial attachment to stop that cement from going deep into their tissue. Mm-hmm. With an implant, the tissue is obviously going to be more friable because of that lack of that periodontal ligament, and so the cement can go and seep in and then create a big problem later on. And we could lose a lot of bone uh, because of that. And we may have to do a lot of rebuilding because of that. So if mm-hmm. we're using a screw retained crown, we're now going with a cementless option. We don't have no cement, no fear of, of the, that coming in and out. One of the negative things about going screw retained is it's often very difficult to get the, the screw retained crowns in and out of the mouth. I've had a lot of clinicians tell me over the years, they really dislike doing screw retained crowns because it's so difficult for them to get put it in, tighten it in, and then they see the floss doesn't go down or the bites off, so they have to take it out and they have to adjust it again and again and again. So my advice would be to try to do, for those clinicians that don't like to do the, the screw, screw um, retained crowns, would be to actually make an abutment, then make a crown with a screw access hole in it. Put the abutment in, try the crown in and out, and make sure to do all your adjustments. Then take the abutment and the crown out of the mouth mm-hmm. and do what we call a screw mentable crown. We actually cement the crown outside of the mouth onto the abutment with a permanent restoration and then go ahead and seat the abutment and the crown at the same time. You give it a few minutes, obviously, for the cement to set. You have to light cure, depending on the cement that you're using. Give it some time or whatever the manufacturer recommends and then go ahead and use this. And now you have a screw retained crown that with easy adjustment. Right. But without a doubt, it should always be um, screw retained. The only difficulty is sometimes we can't get screw retained crowns because the implant placement wasn't ideal. And so we don't want to actually have a screw hole coming out of the, the facial plate. So I, it all has to go back to that the implant was placed in the proper position. That goes back to our earlier lectures, uh, our conversations on the podcast about uh, diagnosing and, and, tre- and, and planning with the CBCT and all that to get the implants into that proper position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Using the right tools, your the rate of success of, of these procedures have just skyrocketed. Um, and that's why the education is important. And that's, in, you know, your course that you give, the live seminars must be extremely valuable to the to the attendees. They actually get to experience this firsthand. I'm not trying to plug your program. Um, no, it's true, though. You're, you're absolutely. I thank you for, for that. But um, it's uh, it's ab- absolutely true. We, we deal with a lot of that because uh, when we come back to our course, 
sometimes we do see a lot of cement sepsis and then we have to go in and, and try to treat it and really try. And it's not, it's never an easy battle. It's always an uphill battle in those types of cases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if, if you want to, uh, if you are looking as, and I'm talking to the listeners now, if you're looking to take some really amazing hands-on training, your, your facilities in New York, Isaac. So we have a, we have my, my office is in New York, but we have a few different training centers. One's in Pueblo, Mexico, Tijuana, Mexico. We have one in Arizona and soon to be in Dominican Republic to do live surgery training. And then we offer hands-on courses at pretty much all the major events, all the major implant events like ICOI and AID and Greater New York Dental Meeting and all, all the different various um, organizations we usually have workshops at. Anybody who's interested, you could visit your website. Um, what, is the yes, web, uh, what is the website for AIE? It's www.aiedental.com. Okay, great. Yeah, so my last question before we end this podcast, and this is something that's certainly relevant to every general dentist, periodontist, dental hygienist, is peri-implantitis. Tell us a little bit about peri-implantitis. That's a tongue twister. And how can it be prevented? <laughs> well, just like with teeth, we, we can get uh, periodontitis. Same thing can happen around implants. Although it's mm -hmm. a different type of an inflammatory response, we can get a, a disease that forms around the implant itself. Um, my advice is always to use a good commercially pure type implant that has a grade four um, uh, material, not a grade five, which has some alloy. Because some people do have some um, allergies to those uh, alloys. So having a good, good implant that's grade four is, is quite important. But still, even with those types of materials, we can still have disease just because the patient may not be cleaning well or maybe we didn't do everything right when we placed the implant. But in general, when we are successful, when we place the implant in the right spot and this tissue looks good and everything is going great, we can still somehow end up with periimplantitis. And so our major responsibility as the clinicians who either place the implants or the ones who are following up on it has to be to watch maintenance. Never ever should we say, oh, it looks okay on the implant. It just has a little bit of bone loss and leave it alone. Mm -hmm. We should always be treating it, whether it's with a laser, with some Arrestin, with, again, good oral hygiene instruction, putting the patient on uh, Peridex rinses. So we prevent um, a, a small amount of bone loss to turning into a massive amount of bone loss. And if that's something that you're not comfortable with in your general practice, then please send it to the specialist who, who had placed the implant or even if they didn't place the implant and you did, and, and send it to the specialist because there's going to be a new era in implant dentistry. Since there are so many implants being placed all over the world every single day, their job now is going to be to help fix all these problems that we're going to see because people are getting implants as young as, as 18 years old these days. Mm -hmm. So we know it, it's not going to last for them for the rest of their lives, unfortunately. We wish that it could, but we know that it won't. Right. So there's going to be a new subspecialty called the Perio peri-implantitis specialty, right. which we're seeing more and more of the amazing clinicians being able to salvage uh, these types of cases for us. You know, I would think dental hygienists are getting some of this training in their dental hygiene education. Oh, absolutely. That, that reminds me. That reminds me. There's, there's a new product um, that came out using glycine, such as the AirClean and Cavo came out with one. There's a lot of different products using glycine to help clean off around the necks of the implants. Mm -hmm. I believe every office should have one of these glycine um, air abrasion type machines so that because we can't clean these implants with uh, regular curettes we either have to use these titanium or plastic type curettes that are never really that good they're never, and we're not allowed to use the PA the uh, ultrasonics 
unless we put these little plastic caps on. So this air clean gives us the ability to get deeper into those peri-implant tissues to help divide out some of the bacteria mm -hmm. and materials that may be caught in there. Which, which company sells? I, I know Acteon Group has one. Don't they have an air Acteon clean? has one as well. Acteon has an air polisher. Cavo has one. Uh, there's a new one from IDS that just snaps right into your to your existing uh, um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, chair side units right. uh, called the air, air clean that mm -hmm. we got we got to use a lot in my office, which I absolutely love. Oh, that's, um, I, that's IDS? IDS, yes. Yeah, IDS, IDS Cavo, and uh, Acteon. And, Acteon. Um, yeah, and what about the hand instruments? Are they being um, modified to handle peri-implantitis? Once, once we have peri-implantitis and we want to try to really clean it, so the, the surgeon who's now being responsible, if they're using lasers or whatnot, there have been some new brushes that have come out that we can now go ahead and polish uh, or clean the implant surfaces with to try to roughen them back, back up. So there are always new advances to be able to kind of treat these. But for the hygienists themselves, it's pretty much been the, the just the regular titanium or plastic scalers mm -hmm. that they've been using to clean around the necks of them. And, and there's always that fear. We always tell them, don't clean too hard because right. we're afraid they're going to do something. Right. But in reality, they, they need to do a good job of cleaning just like they do around natural teeth. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's been uh, incredible. The information is invaluable. Our listeners are certainly enjoying the information they're learning uh, on your podcast, Isaac, you ha you are a, an expert on this topic, and I hope people visit uh, Dr. Towell's website for more information, aiedental.com. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. It's Advanced Implant Educators, and he has, uh, Isaac ha travels around the world. He does lectures everywhere. He also has um, the hands-on training. If you want to learn more about Dr. Towell's lecturing, you can take some webinars for free on vivalearning.com. Just do a search for T-A-W-I-L. Certainly, there's other podcasts that we've uh, had the pleasure of engaging with Dr. Towell on various topics like transitioning your practice for implant therapy. He talked about choosing an implant system in one of the episodes, alveolar requirements for successful long-term dental implants, and of course, the one you just listened to, restoring an implant. Isaac, thanks so much for being with us, and uh, we hope to have you on the show again sometime soon. My pleasure, Phil. Thanks again. <laughs>